Hey everyone, I'm Justin Kinney, and this is a special holiday edition of Nutshell Politics for the 4th of July. Because it's a holiday week, I wanted to take a little bit of time off from doing the international politics topics and just talk a little bit of history of the 4th of July and kind of where it came from, why we celebrate it, and give a handful of fun facts as well. Uh, this won't be a long episode, just a little quick intro for this week, and then next week we'll be back on with an international politics topic. So let's go ahead and dive in with a little bit of history of Independence Day here in America. The initial battles of the Revolutionary War first broke out in early of 1775, roughly April. And at the time, though, very few colonists in the 13 colonies desired complete independence from Great Britain. They were seeking something less than that. And those who did want full independence were considered pretty radical. But within about a year, that has changed, and many more colonists started to lean towards full independence. And there's a handful of reasons for this. Uh, mostly, there's some growing hostility between the British monarchy and the colonists, who were sometimes seen as, as lesser than, and the spread of revolutionary sentiment in a lot of newspapers and pamphlets, uh, primarily Thomas Paine's Common Sense. If you've read that, it's, it's a very common... Uh, it's a very commonly assigned piece in schools, uh, but it was published by Thomas Paine in kind of early 1776. And so we start to see this sentiment shift towards full independence as the long-term goal of this revolution. So 1776, you see the Continental Congress meets in Philadelphia, and this takes place in early June, and they meet at the Pennsylvania State House, which is now called Independence Hall, if you ever visit that in Philadelphia. And during this Congress, you have one delegate in particular, a man by the name of Richard Henry Lee from Virginia, who introduces a motion that calls for the colony's independence from Great Britain. And this becomes a very heated debate throughout the Continental Congress, and ultimately they postpone a vote on his resolution. But at the same time, they do appoint a five-man committee, and I'll get to who they are in a second, to draft a formal statement justifying the split from the colonial master of Great Britain and independence for themselves. Now, these five individuals who were part of this committee, uh, some of them you'll recognize, a couple you probably are less familiar with. Thomas Jefferson is the third president of the United States, and he is the principal writer or author behind the Declaration of Independence. He was also the first United States Secretary of State, uh, a minister to France, essentially an ambassador. And while his historical legacy is a little bit mixed, uh, it's become more mixed in recent years with some criticism of his ownership of slaves and some of the controversy around Sally Hemings, but he continues to be one of the most influential founding fathers of the United States. Now, he was joined on the committee by John Adams. John Adams is the second president of the United States. He was also the first vice president. He was uh, the ambassador to the court of St. James at one point, minister to the Netherlands. And he and Jefferson famously had a bit of a rivalry uh, to the point where they hated each other for a while. They did eventually make up and become friends later in life, but they were adversaries for a long period of time as they were helping to set up the original United States government. Third on the list is another name you'll probably recognize, and that's Benjamin Franklin. Now, Franklin was not a traditional politician, although he did serve in several offices. He was the first postmaster general. He was the minister to France, minister to Sweden at various points in time, the president of Pennsylvania. But he is probably more well known for his extracurricular activities in that he was an inventor. He is hugely influential in the exploration of electricity, known for the lightning rod, the Franklin stove, uh, bifocals, and quite a few other things as well. 
He was also a newspaper editor and printer in Philadelphia, a uh, very early age at the age of 23. He's also probably more well known politically for being the oldest member of the Continental Congress to sign the Declaration of Independence. He was 70 years old, and he was probably one of the most influential thinkers in the Congress, uh, very well respected, and he's been honored many, many times over the years on a variety of issues, especially some of his thoughts on the idea of virtue in the population and morality and religion. And these thoughts carried over into many of his political views as well that were highly respected, including some of his arguments against slavery, which he is very well known for. Now, as long as I'm talking about the oldest member who signed the Declaration of Independence, there were two who were quite young who signed it. There was Thomas Lynch Jr. and Edward Rutledge. Both of them were 26 years old, and both of them were actually from South Carolina. So if you're thinking you're only in your 20s and you're thinking you don't have a whole lot to offer politically, understand that this history of youth in politics goes way back to the founding of this country. Uh, now, the other two members of this five-man team are probably a little less known, but I wanted to quickly run through who they were as well because they do play a pretty big role in these early years. Uh, first is a man by the name of Robert R. Livingston. He was a lawyer, politician, a diplomat. He was the first U.S. Secretary of Foreign Affairs. He was also a minister to France. Uh, France was actually one of our original allies. I believe they were our first one, and so that's why we have so many of these people who were ministers to France at one point in time. Interestingly, while he is one of those five who helped draft the Declaration of Independence, he was actually recalled as a delegate by his state before he could sign the final version. So he actually didn't sign the document even though he helped write it. Although his cousin was one of the actual signers. That was a man by the name of Philip Livingston. Uh, he actually had another cousin too who signed the Constitution named William. So that whole family was very tied into these early documents. Now, the fifth member is a man by the name of Roger Sherman. And Sherman is probably most well-known for being the only person who signed all four of the great documents of the early United States. The Continental Association, the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, and the Constitution. The only one to sign all four. Uh, in addition to that, he was a mayor of New Haven, Connecticut. He was a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. He was a senator. And he's considered one of the most influential members of the whole Constitutional Convention as well. Uh, he's not particularly well known for what he said there. He was not um, a very eloquent speaker, but he was very influential in kind of the drafting of some of these documents. So that's the committee. Those are the five members who draft the Declaration of Independence in favor of, of Lee's resolution. And when July 2nd rolls around, the Continental Congress votes as a whole in favor of the resolution for independence. It was almost unanimous. Uh, the New York delegation initially abstained, hoping for some sort of resolution with Great Britain, although they later did vote uh, for it as well. And two days later, on July 4th of 1776, the Continental Congress formally adopts the Declaration of Independence. Now, the vote, as I mentioned, took place on July 2nd, but the 4th is the day that we celebrate. Interestingly, though, John Adams famously thought the 2nd should have been much more celebrated, to the point where he actually refused to celebrate on the 4th, at least that's what rumor says. But his efforts to push for the 2nd were ultimately overruled, and as we're all familiar with now, the 4th is what's been celebrated ever since. So let's talk a little bit about these celebrations. Some of the very early celebrations, and actually the celebrating the 4th of July started very, very early. The very first anniversary in 1777 marked the very first celebration as well. And this was a huge ordeal, took place, there's toasts, 
13-gun salute, speeches, parades, music, and indeed fireworks. So the tradition of fireworks goes all the way back to that very first anniversary of 1776. And now we've seen several other celebrations and observations of July 4th that have been particularly notable. We have uh, the Massachusetts General Court in 1781 became the first state legislature to recognize it as a formal um, celebration. In 1870, the U.S. Congress turned Independence Day into a, an official holiday for federal employees. Now, over the years, this has become much more of a symbolic holiday than any sort of practical one. Uh, but it's become really important in the United States history as a national holiday, a symbol of patriotism, a chance to get together with family and friends and celebrate the United States with food and parades and probably most famously fireworks. And in fact, just last year, it said that Americans spent over $1 billion on fireworks for this holiday. It's gone up every year. I believe it's tripled in the last 20 years or so. So it's really taken a huge jump. Now, in line with this being a pretty patriotic holiday, there have been a couple interesting coincidences that have taken place. Both Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, two of the original drafters of that declaration, both died on July 4th. Uh, actually, the exact same day in 1826, the nation's 50th birthday. So two of the original founding fathers and two of the original members of that five-man committee who draft the declaration died on the same day on the 50th anniversary of that original declaration. Now, there is one president who was actually born on the 4th of July as well. This would be Calvin Coolidge. He was the 30th U.S. president, born on 4th of July, 1872. And there have been a couple other famous people who have that same birthday as well. Nathaniel Hawthorne, who was a famous author, uh, the gangster Meyer Lansky, and, and others. Now, moving back a little bit to some of the political intrigue, the United States actually is not the only country in the world that celebrated their independence on the 4th of July. Uh, the Philippines actually gained their, their independence, ironically, from the United States on the 4th of July, 1946, and the day became a national holiday there. They have actually changed it since, I believe, in the 1960s. It was changed to June 12th, which reflects kind of a, a resentment toward American colonialism and not wanting to compete on kind of the global stage. But July 4th is actually officially recognized in the Philippines as their Independence Day, or I believe they call it their Republic Day, but it isn't widely observed there anymore. The 4th of July, though, does get recognized overseas. There's quite a few countries, especially in Europe, that celebrate the American 4th of July, primarily for tourist reasons, but you do see several celebrations abroad. Uh, Budapest in Hungary has picnics and barbecue and live music. France actually has a pretty large American expat community, and so there's quite a few celebrations in Paris. Denmark has one of the largest ones at one of their national parks. They've been having a 4th of July celebration since the early 1900s, and there's all kinds of food and music there as well. China actually hosts several parties as well. Sydney, Australia has some, and there's quite a few others across Europe as well. So even though this is a U.S. holiday, you can find celebrations elsewhere due to expat communities and some tourist incentives. Now, fireworks nowadays are a huge billion-dollar business. As I mentioned before, about a billion dollars is spent by Americans on fireworks for this one day alone. Although we have started to see in recent years, especially actually this year, there's been a shift away from fireworks that are being canceled due to heat concerns and wildfire and moving towards drone displays. Uh, now, if you were watching the Olympics that took place back in February in Korea, there were quite a few of these drone displays that took place as part of the opening and closing ceremonies. And so we have started to see a couple of those pop up here and there to kind of counter some of the heat and fire risk of traditional fireworks. 
But with that, I think I'm going to call this episode a wrap. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys have a very happy 4th of July. Enjoy time with family and friends. Enjoy your fireworks. Enjoy the good food and music. Stay safe out there, and I will see you guys next time on Nutshell Politics. I'm Justin Kinney, and I'm signing off. Thanks, guys. Yeah.